Hello, welcome to episode 167 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. It's me, Stephen Hill. I'm the, the one of the guys, and I'm joined, as ever, by Renfrey Deadman. You might know him as metal-hating troll Renfrey Deadman, mm. um, <laughs> but I just know him as Renfrey Deadman. You happy with that uh, description, Renfrey? It's not really very accurate at all, is it, really, to be perfectly honest? But, I, think you know. I've, I think I've... Um express my displeasure at that descriptor of me in the past but hey what the hell uh let's go with it for now how are you doing steve yeah i'm, I'm all right thanks mate i'll describe you as uh, what i did last week is a, a man who lives in pizza hut even though <laughs> <laughs> even though i admitted seconds later that i'd just made up a scandalous lie yeah. about you uh, and then went on twitter and said that uh you were in the pizza hut complaining to the manager which wasn't true either. Just slurring, slurs all over the place. Remember? It wasn't true. Smearing your name all it, over the internet. It wasn't true, but it did feel like the sort of thing that I might do. You said that I'd complained <laughs> that the ice cream factory wasn't part of the salad buffet, which does sound yeah. like something I would do. Uh, that is annoying, isn't it? It is very annoying. I do love me a bit of ice cream factory. I mean, I... I, I, I tell you what, you can't go to Pizza Hut anymore. I, I, I went to Pizza Hut a couple of weeks ago. I, you can't go to you can't sit in at Pizza Hut. I literally sat in at Pizza Hut less than a month ago. It's awful. I mean, it's not great, but I did do. Oh, that. it's absolutely awful. I remember when I was about nineteen, going to Pizza Hut felt like a really big deal. Yes, and now I mean, I I'm fucking. Well, sorry, Pizza Hut. I, I assume you don't want to sponsor us. <laughs> I assume uh, you're certainly I not going anymore. to after I after I talk about how awful your potato salad was. <laughs> How long it took to get served, and when it came, it was terrible. I don't know what I was thinking going to Pizza Hut. What was I thinking? Sounds like you had one bad experience, and you're now equating that to the entire company as a whole. Okay. I'll be honest. Look, Basingstoke Pizza Hut is not right. <laughs> right. Okay. Cool. All right. That's all I'm going to say. I, I got no beef with the rest of Pizza Hut. I guess. You've got to go to the more. Uh, you've got to go to the more opulent pizza huts. I reckon I was on the, the pizza. I was in the pizza hut on the Strand, and I was getting served like super quick there. I've been to that one before. That's no good either. It's it's fine. It's all right. You're just you, you're just a, used to rolling around in the filth with the the scum, aren't you? I'm one of <laughs> I'm one of the people. Whereas I. Like to eat in more salubrious um, residences, <laughs> like Ask and Gourmet Burger Kitchen. <laughs> I think I think there's always room for different, uh, like you know, sometimes sometimes you just want a sort of Pizza Hut type thing, but sometimes you want a Pizza Express. <laughs> or, or, or See, I don't. I, uh, What's the like Pizza, Pizza Express? Express? I just don't like Pizza Express. I think it's rubbish. I think it's where people... I think Pizza Express is arguably worse than Pizza Hut. No, it's very good value for money. I think it is... Look, if you're going to go, go to fucking... If you're going to go out for something like that, you want to go to Prezzo. I don't think I've ever been to a Prezzo. Well, it's because it's, you're not good enough to go to Prezzo. There That's why. That's clearly You're it. spending your time in Pizza Hut and Pizza, Pizza Express. Uh. Is like Pizza Express is like the the fucking Ed Sheeran of restaurants, isn't it? <laughs> no. It's like absolute Ed Sheeran. What are you it's, talking about? 
That's nonsense. It is. It's where everybody goes. They go, oh, this is, oh, you'll like this. It's pizza. You've got, they've got dough balls. It, 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 that fucking bit of dough and you dip it in some <laughs> butter and you're telling me that like suddenly you're like the Marquis de Sade. Like, no. It's a safe it's choice. It's a safe choice because any sane person would enjoy their great value for money Italian pizza at... at uh, Pizza Express. Although I think Go. Franco Manca has come in and kind of given Pizza right. Express for a, run, a yeah. run for its money yeah. because those pizzas are really, really good. They're good. I mean, yeah. they're still not as bad. Prezzo is better. Get a calzone in Prezzo. I can't... Six minutes this has been going on now. Talking about various Italian restaurants. Yeah, apolo- we move on? Apologies to our international uh, listeners. Who, <laughs> I don't know how much of that... I know Pizza Hut is definitely international. I don't know yeah. about the others. But yeah. Anyway, you want to you you want anyway. Look, it doesn't matter. Basically, uh, stay out of Pizza Express, guys. Just my tip. On this week's show, we're going to be looking at B sides. We have picked three B sides from the past. Renfrey and I each, and we are going to be chatting about them and chatting about just B sides, just the kind of art of the B side. That's sort of thematically what this show is about this week um before we do that as ever we're going to point you in the direction of our patreon page patreon.com forward slash riot act podcast where you can sign up for just a pound or more however much you would like over a pound obviously uh and you will get access to our rioters reviews another one of those went up this week as we spoke about pedals the sophomore album from the alt Emo could have been Megastar's rival schools. Enjoyed chatting about that, Renfrey. Good record. Great record, in fact. A great record. A great band. We had a lovely time doing that. There's all kinds of writers' reviews, as suggested by you, our patrons, over at patreon.com forward slash right act podcast from cattle decapitation to Paul Simon and everything in between. Essentially, yeah, more or less, yeah. That's that's pretty much the breadth of it, isn't it? I would say. I think it is. Yeah, um, I think so. That'd be an interesting co-headliner, wouldn't it? Paul Simon and Cow Decapitation. I think one of those artists may pull in a slightly <laughs> bigger variant of people than yeah. the other one. To be honest, Cow Decapitation headlining Hyde Park next year. Yeah, and Paul Simon at the Underworld, <laughs> <laughs> supported by origin and obscura <laughs> nice um also if you want to d- sign up for our five pound a month tier uh obviously we should have probably put a, uh, a classic album out at this point um we try and do two of those a month uh but it's renfrey's turn so obviously he's taking ages to do that uh <laughs> it, it is i mean I, this is a conversation for off mic but it is pretty much uh ready to go so um so okay. we're, we're, we're going to record it this weekend i'm pretty sure of that um but yes PJ Harvey, that's coming up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, since you should have had it by now, I'll tell you what I've decided what I'm going to do next. Black Crows is coming after that. Mm-hmm. And that is that will be ready on time. I promise <laughs> you. You have my words. Uh, as I am... Um, I was going to say I was reliable then. I'm not necessarily that reliable. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there are a lot, a lot, a lot of classic albums if you sign up for our £5 tier. They're probably the biggest deep dive that we do on pretty much anything, I would say. Sepultura... Pixies. Let's see if I can get the breadth of this. Lauren Hill to Meshuggah? Lauren Hill to Morbid Angel? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah oh, it's difficult. I mean, which, which is heavy, Meshuggah or Morbid Angel? But yeah, Lauren Hill to Morbid Angel is fairly good. Uh, mm-hmm. Or Neil Young to Morbid Angel, maybe? Nick Cave to the Weezer? To the Weezer. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard them called the Weezer before. The Weezer. Well... <laughs> 
It's quite a good name, isn't it? The Weezer. <laughs> the um, I think uh, you, I do as well. Uh, by the way, if you're thinking, oh, what are you reviewing this week? We're not reviewing anything this week. Instead, I'm just going to give you, we might as well tell people, Renfrey, isn't it, how we're going to kind of operate the show from from going forwards. You happy you happy to reveal the plans uh, that we we've, we've got? Yeah, go on. Okay, you don't seem sure, but I will anyway. <laughs> well, uh, we'll 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 see what you say. I don't know what you said. Okay. Yet, so. Well, look, um this week we've put up two reviews of individual albums, Duran Duran's Future Past and Biffy Clyro's The Myth of the Happily Ever After. Uh, they're up for you to listen to now for free just on our you know our uh, our our feed wherever you get your podcast from you can go and listen to us talk about those albums we just um felt like we wanted to give those big albums a bit more of uh, of our time without having to kind of squish it in in amongst a lot of other stuff we wanted to make this show a little bit shorter although talking about pizza hut for 10 minutes probably isn't going to help <laughs> that to be honest um but yeah we so we decided that reviews are kind of going to be their own separate thing now that's not to say that we won't do roundups of of things that have come out or that we won't continue to bring you smaller bands than biffy clyro and duran duran in review form um maybe in more bite-sized chunks but it'll probably be more little and often from the podcast now and that's why we're doing this b-side thing this week because i think we just like the podcast to be a little bit more conversational than having to kind of go snap okay right let's do a review and we have to kind of collate our thoughts and it all gets a bit serious so if you care about what we think about albums we are still gonna we're not changing this isn't right act 2.0 we're not going to suddenly ask you for 20 quid a month or anything fucking ridiculous like that but uh we are going to um change the sort of the methodology in which we put material out from now on. Is that fair enough to say that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's all absolutely fine. I'm very happy with that. Um, we actually, we never really intended Riot Act to be a review show. And I think over the past no. three years, it's sort of slowly, organically morphed into that. Um, and it's kind of got to the point now where I feel like whenever me or you listen to music nine times out of ten, it's for work purposes. I actually think that's a little bit dangerous for people who review music for a living because you start getting um, a little bit uh, bitter about having to do something which is a passion of yours and, and things like that. And, and um, yeah, I think we are of the impression and we are always open to hear if you feel differently, but we are of the impression that people tend to enjoy the conversational kind of aspects. I mean, I do. I I prefer the more kind of uh, yeah, and I think that, that you know we've got a lot of stuff that about you know we asked about B sides this week. Loads of you got in touch yeah, when we exactly. did covers. Loads of you got in touch when we talked about one hit wonders. When we talked about greatest hits, loads of you got in touch. So that's the key thing. You know, it means we can think... involve you guys a little bit more as well, um, mm. which I think we would like to do. Sorry to interrupt you there, but that just no, that, you just spun that's up. fine. So I think we're going to do more stuff like that. We're going to kind of focus. Each show is going to be focusing on something uh, every week. And it probably won't be a two and a half hour show like it has been previously. But we're going to make sure that we do put out as many reviews about stuff. And you're right, actually. Do you know, the other day I was like, oh, I've got the new Cradle of Filth album. I'm going to listen to that. And I just listened to it yeah. because I wanted to listen to it. And I was like, it doesn't matter if we choose, if, if I really like it, maybe we can come on, chuck it in a review show one day and we can talk about it. But I was just like, I can listen to the new Cradle of Filth album without sitting by my computer going, what do I think about this song? And that's 
that's just nicer for me to be honest you've more or less just said it but at the risk of sounding woe is me it's it does become very tiresome when every single time you sit down to listen to something you have to go right well what do i think of this and why do i think that i i believe um i mean i don't think we would have said this towards the beginning of right act but you know we are aware now that there are people who do want to know what we think about records because you do ask us quite a lot um how we feel about certain records and obviously there's the writer's review from all that sort of sort of thing so i do want to just point out and stress we're not axing reviews totally we're just trying to get a balance between those Mm. two things but um so it's going to be a bit of a transitionary period for the next a few weeks certainly but we probably won't do an hour on each album like we have done on the two this week no 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 but we do quite big we do want your feedback positive or negative i mean if it's negative try to say in a nice way at least um but yeah you know we would like to know what you think and uh we'll try and uh, incorporate all that stuff going forward mm. and we're also recording stuff to go up on our youtube channel again so mm. just search right act podcast on youtube there's a video of this week's broken records which was lenny kravitz um baptism album which has gone up on which is just a kind of pint-sized version of some of the fun we had talking about lenny kravitz probably more fun than he would have had listening to it i imagine uh <laughs> and making it by the sounds of things all <laughs> yeah. week yeah because uh, he's a grumpy goose i think is what i called lenny kravitz <laughs> in the podcast and i stand by it anyway before we get into talking about b-size just we are going to still do newsy based things um oh, which of the two b's do you want to do first uh, do bs first oh no wait a minute they're both bs uh do brown sugar first <laughs> how are they bs how's bloodstock brown sugar boa oh, all right, all right. i would say and bs brown sugar so brown sugar by the rolling stones is one of their biggest songs isn't it absolutely massive song apparently their second most played song after jumping jack flash which i was very surprised by i have to say i i haven't checked but that is um that is uh that is quite surprising you're right yeah one of the well anyway I said that yeah. okay right fine so last week rolling stones retired or said they would be retiring brown sugar um due to its lyrics referencing slavery um keith richards said you picked up on that huh um, when asked why they nixed the track, he said, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out with the sisters quite where the beef is. Didn't they understand this was a song about the horrors of slavery, but they're trying to bury it. That's what Keith Richards said. Um, hmm. I mean, that's obviously, um, you know, this is a song that has been a staple of the Rolling Stones live set for a long, long, long time. More or less since it came out, which was 1971. Yeah. yeah, and, and they've uh, been playing it since 1969. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I actually have to say, I was aware of what the song was broadly about. I don't think we need to <laughs> explain it in too much detail. But it wasn't until I actually read the lyrics that I was like, oh, fuck me, there is some quite uh, incendiary and uh, triggering lyrical content within that song. And I think sort of fair enough to the Rolling Stones for going, I'm not really sure if this sits that well with us in 2021. It, It's a great song. Like, it's musically a great song. It's a, a hip-shaking beauty of a song. But if they don't feel that comfortable playing it anymore, I think they don't feel that comfortable sh- playing it anymore. No one's got a right to to you know they're not a they're not a jukebox if they don't feel like they want to play it anymore then i don't i don't think they should sort of a bit of a weird story really because uh, everyone's reporting 
or, or most people seem to be reporting that Rolling Stones dropped the song because of the lyrical content. But then the quotes from Keith Richards and Mick Jagger, and Mick, you've done the one from Keith Richards, but Mick Jagger said, oh, it'll probably come back into the set one day, you know, at some point. So it is a little kind of confusing. One day? They've, they, I don't, how long do they think how they're going to be a band for? I think Mick Jagger probably does think he's immortal. I mean, we all think we're immortal to an extent, don't we, I suppose? Mm. Uh, up to a point. But... Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's good that they've recognised that if they've decided to yeah. drop it and if they've decided to drop it for those reasons, although that doesn't seem particularly clear to me, that seems all good to me. I have to say, I, um, I, I don't pay all that much attention to Rolling Stones lyrics, I have to say, because I don't, I'm only a casual fan of Rolling Stones mm. and yeah, I don't see Mick Jagger as a great lyricist who I need to pay attention to to, to be honest um, and for years without listening to it properly I just assumed it was a heroin reference because brown sugar slang for heroin mm-hmm. um, it's not it, it, this song is not it, it, it is a slang reference but it's definitely not about that um, and yeah reading the lyrics today you know yeah it does seem very troubling it's essentially i mean it's talking about a character or it's talking about someone who is having their way with a young lady on a slave ship effectively and that has many 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 bad connotations to be honest i don't think people thought about that sort of thing when they were writing lyrics for rock and roll songs back in the 60s but i think now that we're thinking about it now and we're aware of it now uh it's probably a good thing if the rolling stones feel like for whatever reason they don't feel comfortable or they don't feel like they want to play this song that is absolutely up to them it doesn't appear like they've been pressured into doing it at all i mean the first time i was aware that the song was about not quite how you explained it but my you know i say i i listened to the song brown sugar you know you don't really think much about what a rolling stone song is about necessarily because they are fairly just simple rock and roll songs for the most part. Um, and then I somebody did it on X Factor about kind of 2005, 2006 era. Somebody did it on X Factor. And I remember one of my housemates I was living with at the time were like, you know, it was, um, they were like, it sounds dodgy, this song, isn't it? Because it's essentially like the Rolling Stones fetishizing um, a, a, a woman of color. And I was like, oh yeah who just happens to be a slave as well i think that's but it's but even that i didn't even realize back then i didn't realize that because again i didn't really pay that much attention to the lyrics it was only when i actually sat down with the lyric sheet in front of me that i was like oh yeah it actually is isn't it bloody hell and you know it's obviously written in character so i think there is that thing where you know our our slayer nazis because you know angel of death is Obviously, a really kind of lyrically horrible song. Our Slayer going, Ed Gein was brilliant because we wrote Dead Skin Mask. Do you know what I mean? Mm. No, not necessarily. But if the Rolling Stones are going, oh, do you know what? This actually feels a bit, you know, like we don't know how to square this at the moment. Then that's up to them. It doesn't appear like anyone has said, you mustn't do that anymore. No, not as far as I can see. And even if they did, the Rolling Stones could go, okay, well don't come to the shows then and that would be the end of it right mm-hmm. they they could still continue playing it and it would probably not affect them at all and losing that three and a half minutes of brown sugar from their set list 
Uh, I don't know if you know this about the Rolling Stones, guys, but they've actually got a fairly stacked back catalogue of hits. So it's not like people are just, they're not, you know, they're not like Wheatus. We're not playing Teenage Dirtbag anymore. You go, well, then you're fucked, aren't you? No one's going to come and see you. That is not going to happen to the Rolling Stones. Um, I'd be more worried about seeing them without Charlie Watts, to be honest. So, um, Well, Mick yeah. Jagger, I mean, did he did say that, like, he claimed that the, the main reason they dropped it from the set is because they want to revolve their songs. And he seemed to just sort of sidestep the lyrical stuff from what I read anyway which might be an easy way of just going like look we're not doing it but let's just not have a conversation about yeah, it yeah 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 and he has actually uh he has brought up the song before um from the bbc it said discussing the song in a 1995 interview with rolling stone magazine jag said i would never write that song now i would probably censor myself i'd think oh god i can't i've got to stop god knows what i'm on about on that song it's such a mishmash all the nasty subjects in one go and I mean, really, this is just a young man writing whatever comes to mind, whatever sounds good, not necessarily the meaning of the words, but even just kind of the way the words sound to the music and not really thinking about it back in 69, 68, 69, whenever he wrote the song. And, you know, and, and, and I think they've, if they don't want to play it anymore, they don't want to play it anymore. I mean, bands and artists do this all the time. They go, I don't feel comfortable with those lyrics anymore. Um, Misery Business by Paramore. Um, there's Dave Mustaine won't play one of the songs from Peace Sells anymore, I don't think. Oh. Is it the one uh, about god not being real or something it it, <laughs> it, 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 it it is down to his religious beliefs now you know stuff mm. like that and blah 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 you know i mean if you write a song and you decide not to play it i think that's your business really yeah i mean nirvana didn't want to play smells like teen spirit towards the end of mm. their career no for very different reasons <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but again you know that's up to them the eels yeah. i've seen the eels and they didn't play nova came for the soul and i was like fucking hell yeah you bastards um, that's but that's up to them isn't it it's absolutely up to them it, yeah it just sounds like um you know mick jagger wrote that song and he was probably just ab ignorant and oblivious to what any of it really meant speaking of which <laughs> oh uh, i shouldn't laugh at the start of this because i think things are about to get a little bit um a little bit more serious now probably by now um if you have been sort of following this story you'll you'll know what we're talking about if you haven't if you don't um vicky hungerford of bloodstock festival who's a festival director has been for a very very long time um it's part of the family that put that festival on obviously i've spoken in the past about how much i like bloodstock festival as a punter how great it is to go to that festival she has stepped back from the running of the festival for a little bit it all kind of stems from a tweet that she put out on Friday, last Friday, I believe, that says, if you're going to start putting pronouns on your emails so I can refer to you as he, him, she or her, I'm binning your emails, which unsurprisingly uh, caused somewhat of a backlash from the people that saw it. It was pretty quickly deleted. Before we get into it, your thoughts on that tweet, Renvery? It's a massively stupid and insensitive thing to say. And I think anyone who says something like that 
um, as the head of a festival that claims itself to be very, very inclusive and welcoming to all people, they probably should take a step back and think about what inclusivity actually means and making people from all kinds of different backgrounds uh, feel comfortable at your festival. I think that is... I think that action is correct. I mean, I suppose that's not the question you asked. What's the? What do I think of the tweet? I, I mean, I, I personally think it's fucking moronic. And I think that it doesn't cost you anything to put pronouns on your email signature. But even if you don't do that, and even if you choose not to, because, you know, that's absolutely fine as well. It doesn't cost you anything to receive that and read they, them, he, him, she, her. It just it it's such a non-issue, and when you're raising something like that, that irks you on such a non-issue. I think that is very very troubling indeed, and it doesn't really, uh, it certainly doesn't look good to metal as a whole or its inclusivity, and I think that it, um, I think it rejuvenates prejudices from outside of the metal community that people might have about metal fans that they're all dumb bleeding idiots who don't really understand anything we'll get onto that in a second for sure yeah i just want to preface by saying I, i've actually never met vicky before i don't know her. i don't really like making kind of snap judgments on people's character on the basis of something that they do on social media but i have to say i'm staggered i'm staggered on many levels that she would say that I, I like it's such a bizarre dumb thing to do i mean in the first place uh, i i guess on the the kind of the, the 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 less of the two troubling aspects of it is even if you do feel that way i can't imagine you being so unaware of the, what the repercussions would be that you'd go yeah i'm just gonna say that apropos of nothing it's like that Stuart Lee bit, you know, the Stuart Lee bit where he gets into the cab and the cab driver goes, I think all gay people are morally reprehensible yeah. or something. And he's like, oh, what a bold conversation mm. starter, mm. right? It's the same thing. It's like, why are you just going to go, hello, I want to make a kind of sneering mockery of this group of people. You must, even if you feel that in your heart, in your head, you must know like at the like if i'm a, if if i am secretly Renfrey, a massive racist i'm not just going to go hello welcome to right act by the way i'm a massive fucking ra-. like i'm not going to do that like that is ridiculous and stupid for one secondly and as you've sort of already pointed out who fucking cares who fuck it like i i don't have my pronouns or my email or my twitter or anything or my signature or anything right i don't I've honestly never thought about it. Do you know what I mean? It's just something which I've never had to think about. I've never thought about it. You know, I've I've just I never really considered it right as a thing. Right? I don't. I, I've seen it sometimes. I've not seen it on some people's. I've seen it on some people. I'm aware it's a thing. I have no feeling about it. At all, like no strong feeling about it either way. Do you know what I mean? I if someone's got it, you go okay. If I haven't, okay. Right, because for me, I guess I can afford to be like that. Fine. Just to clarify, you have no feeling about like when you receive an email, you no. see the signature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, if you see it, you just like it's it's like getting annoyed at a font. 
Oh, why are yeah. you using Tyne's New Roman? You f- I'm not fucking listening to this person. What a piece of shit. Like, it's completely irrelevant to that. It says nothing about, to, like, to me, it says, like, to, to kind of glean enough negative connotations from that, that you would delete someone's, you'd say you'd delete their email. I mean, I'm sure it was meant to be a joke. I'm sure it was meant to be a joke. I'm sure. But are you? it's just, I She's expressed these opinions before. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, well, I know for a fact that there are people within the Bloodstock working environment who do that. So I'm assuming that she doesn't delete their emails. So it, it's not even true. Yeah, that, I mean? there's people. Um, so yeah, anyway, there's people anyway. that we. There's people that we so know. So you, you you might feel that, but you you don't even you don't actually you can't actually do that because there are people you work with, and I know like Merlin, for example, at Hammer, I know does it, and there would have been a partner for Bloodstock. Like, what did she get an email from Merlin and delete it? I very much doubt it. Mm. So it's not even true for a start. You're just kind of showing off and trying to be funny or whatever, but. I, 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 I'm, I, it's just it's it's such a weird thing to get it's just such a bizarre thing to get have any kind of annoyance about but anyway sorry go on you, you, you cut you off um, no it's okay I, th- I, I think it's um, I think it is bizarre for cis people to get annoyed about this thing I can understand why trans people are very very um, angry about it though because I think to them it makes them feel like they're they're worthless or something like that and I can I can understand why that would be a big problem I mean, I, I I just think it's the majority of the time when you see comments from people saying that metal is really inclusive, it more often than not comes from cis white people, you know. And at the end of the day, cis white, I think more often than not, cis white males as well. I might have seen the odd cis white woman say it, but you don't get trans people going that was really inclusive you know or black people saying that was really inclusive isn't it it, just, <laughs> no. it doesn't go to a fucking, fucking new romantic happen. go to a fucking new romantic show you idiots Quite. like telling me that metal is the most inclusive genre don't be ridiculous yeah what a ridiculous thing to say and so i think this whole thing of like saying something and then acting completely differently i mean that is just fucking stupid that is like a fucking dumb stupid thing to do because why should we trust anything that Bloodstock say about inclusivity and about how everyone's welcome and all that sort of thing when the public face of the festival is saying stupid shit like that? Even if it's a joke, it's fucking stupid. Um, and as I said before, I mean, you know, she has said stuff about, she said far more vitriolic things about things like that before in the past as well. But at the end of the day, like cis white men are not the group that we're looking to include here because they already feel included i've never gone to a metal show ever in my life and gone i don't really feel like i'm welcome here we could not have it fucking easier no exactly me and you could not like we should just say in fact you know if you listen to this and i would point you in the direction of um our friends at hell tom and um and matt at hellbent for metal who spoke about this yeah and considering you could tell Tom was really not happy at all, I thought Tom did an incredibly good job yeah, at, at remaining measured. At, at remaining measured. So I would say, obviously, like go and listen to what they said uh, if you want. I would say a probably a more emotionally affected, but yet still reasonable response to what's happened here. We're just talking about it because obviously 
the Sophie Lancaster stage is the second stage at Bloodstock, and that's something which is, you know, that the whole Sophie Lancaster Foundation is built upon, you know, the idea that acceptance of all different kinds of people and discrimination is wrong and blah blah blah. So there is that thing where you go, hold on, this is in direct opposition to your stance as a festival, and I think that's um, well, include the goths, but not if yeah, you, if that's you, a shame, isn't yeah. it? It, and it a is shame. Good. I mean that 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 yeah, that's an understatement in my opinion. Did mm. you see the um the uh, tweet that Sylvia Lancaster, um Sophie's mum put out? Uh, I'll yeah. read that very quickly because I think that's quite important. For those that don't know, Bloodstock have a stage called the Sophie Lancaster stage, which is named after Sophie Lancaster, who, if you're outside of the UK, you may not know, was a girl who was um, murdered for looking gothy basically sylvia lancaster regarding this news said as you can imagine we are reeling from last night's tweet by bloodstock's vicky hungerford bloodstock has always welcomed the foundation and the sophie lancaster stage there has been a source of pride for a charity whose very foundation is based on combating intolerance and prejudice our continued presence at bloodstock seems untenable at the same time we believe in educating people about these issues and that by bringing them with us, we all move forward. Being honest, we can see merit in both walking away and also in being at the very same place that so evidently needs our work. Having lost my daughter to hate and intolerance, I do not take Vicky's comments lightly. In our work, we must meet people on a daily basis who struggle with their own identity or are struggling because of the prejudice, harassment or violence they are subjected to from other people simply because of who they are. We will be meeting with Bloodstock to talk about our future relationship. Love and light, Sylvia. Well, that's very interesting. I mean, this might result, maybe, in them no longer having the Sophie Lancaster stage. And I think it is that serious. Especially if you're going on about how you're inclusive all the fucking time and how Bloodstock's a family, blah, blah, blah. Like, it just sends out completely and utterly the wrong fucking message by having the public face of it say something that fucking boneheaded and arrogant and stupid. And it's becoming clearer as society progresses and, I hope, improves, that there are plenty of people out there in the world who do not feel included, who, who, who feel scared of going to a metal show, or, or any kind, or, or lots of types of gigs, really. I mean... I'm saying metal in this case, but like I think there are people who are afraid to go to. I've had like friends of mine go, or oh, what? What do I need to wear? Oh, you were saying it the other day. Your yeah, yeah. Yours my mate was like, didn't your go. mate was yeah. like, oh, well, I what am I supposed to wear to this show? I'm scared I'm going to get beaten up. And like he might have been saying that half jokingly, but I know there's a lot of people who actually do genuinely think that sort of stuff as well because they do think that it's just this fucking monstrous like environment where people are constantly judged and all that sort of thing. And it is for those people that we show our pronouns in our twitter bios or email signatures or what have you you know if you so choose to it's about normalizing the use of pronouns whether you're cis or trans so that people can feel comfortable announcing who they are to the world if they are at the stage in their lives where they feel comfortable to do so and to put a pronoun on your email signature costs you nothing and to read it costs you nothing but for some members of society it's a huge comforting blanket and reassures those people that they are communicating or they are within a space that they feel comfortable in and safe in and they, they won't get or they're far less likely to get any bigotry or any prejudice against them and why wouldn't you want to give that to your fellow human being like 
it, it, it doesn't require any fucking effort. What's your fucking problem? If that is like one of the main problems in your life, you ain't, you've got things really cushy. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, and that's the thing, is it is that we we're sitting here with two people who have things. In, it's incredibly cushy. I mean, yeah. I can't even fathom how it feels to. I, I tell you what, mate. mate remember that we went to the Heavy Music Awards? Um, when I went back after that, tell people what I was <laughs> what I was wearing at. The, do you remember what I was wearing at the Heavy Music oh, Awards? Oh fuck, you were wearing. <laughs> um, uh, it wasn't Duran Duran, was it? What was it? It was a bros t-shirt. Bros t-shirt, yeah. It was a bros t-shirt, an electric blue uh, blazer, and pink eyeshadow because I like to dress up for nice things. And I tell you what, I went back and stayed at my friend's house afterwards. I was walking down the street in that regalia. Um, there were a group of like early 20s youths who had just come out of the, the pub. And man, did they want to fucking start some shit with me? And I was like, yeah. all I'm doing, and I'm like, all I'm doing is wearing eyeshadow, guys. Like, this is, this is not a big deal. And also, there's five of you, and I'm, I'm six foot four, and I've got a beard and a neck tattoo, and you're probably not actually going to actually do anything to me. And I was aware of that, and I was happy to go, lads. Don't shout at me in the street for fuck's sake, just because I've got nice eyes, you mm. mad fucks. Mm. But you know, I guess that's 40-something years of being completely comfortable in society, right? Yeah. For me to be able to actually go. But I don't know that if that's your fucking reality every day, and it has been for ages and ages and ages and ages and ages, that's got to be fucking horrible and exhausting. You know, I, for what it's worth, I love, you know how much I like Bloodstock as a festival. I think it would be a real shame if this negatively affected Bloodstock as a festival and people now felt like it was okay if it turned into some kind of like or encouraged some kind of outside element to feel more empowered by because they know that oh the people who run bloodstock they're on our side do you know what i mean that would be horrible Mm. i mean to people like you and me bloodstock does feel very inclusive and one of the things Mm. that we praise bloodstock for is it's very nice jovial atmosphere you know it's not like one of the bigger festivals where you feel like you're surrounded by a lot of cocks but that's due to the people who go you know and i I don't think in this case that's something you can talk about inclusivity and all that sort of thing but if you're doing things like this you're not practicing what you preach in any way shape or form are you yeah that that is it yeah i tell you what when my opinion really like very much settled in like oh this is bad is when it was picked up by gb news now for those of you um who listen in in other countries gb news is like a kind of um a televised crest for for assholes basically that they started televising um over here it's just where big sort of fat idiots like dan wooten dan wooten who might be the worst human being who's ever walked the planet he's basically kind of a fat version of ed gein pumped full of shit and toxic waste he's a fucking cunt and you know oh the the tolerant left don't care dan wooten i hope that someone throws acid in your face you fucking cunt he's an absolute reprehensible piece of shit dan wooten and he always has been even before i saw him sneering about how you know pathetic people who were complaining about this was so there is a clip which i have watched have you watched it as well renfrey mm-hmm. yeah 
uh, on GB News um, of Dan Wooten, Carol Malone, who's basically like sort of a Geordie grot bags, but uh, again, more evil, and some other girl who just found everything about this hilarious. Mm. Um, and they got one bloke uh, called Benjamin Butterworth, who I believe works for the I newspaper, and is quite a kind of timid character but he was sort of willed out to you know to, to give the illusion of balance on this clip and the people on the like the comments on the youtube um channel the opinions of this like eight minute long piece where they're going she did nothing wrong she did nothing wrong she did nothing wrong putting their things in their ears nah, 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 every time that the only person there who was trying to have a sort of a, a rational conversation about it L literally just laughing literally just laughing in his face going oh if i got an email from somebody who had he him or she her i'd delete it i'd delete it straight away and it's like would you actually go yeah i would i i good good i would delete it good i'm gonna delete that from it from now on if i ever get one i'll delete it good 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 it's just like oh you people are the fucking worst morons and they would never talk about metal they would never talk about bloodstock in a million fucking years in a million years dan wooden was there when slipknot got to number one he's the cunt who put in the sun he just went slipknot number one i don't like people in masks they're scary Ugh, why are they number one that was a news story on his fucking in his fucking newspaper so he's a prick he's a fucking prick that cunt i would honestly i would i'd happily go to jail for however long it was to just beat seven shades of shit out of that guy i hate him i hate him he's a horrible horrible cunt if i took all of the piss i'd ever pissed ever and put it back into myself and then excreted it on his grave i still wouldn't have adequately pissed on his grave enough nice he's a fucking fucking cunt that guy. Right, okay. i hate him all right so if if you're getting sided with with dan wooden i would say that you've probably made a little bit of a boo-boo <laughs> I've never really given the pronouns and the email signatures or bios or anything like that all that much thought before this story. And the more people that I see pro-pronouns and against pronouns, the more that I've kind of realised that I want to align myself with the pro-pronoun people because the anti-pronoun people, in the main, are dicks. Um, and I don't... I just want to align myself with good people who are compassionate and think about other people and other people's experiences outside of their own. And I think that's generally a progressive way to think. And certainly, you know, GB News is that's not where that's coming from. I mean, it's about as right wing as you can get. I think the most troubling thing for this really is just how bloodstock wangs on about inclusivity and then something like this is said and it's like well we can't take anything you say seriously regarding that matter now and it's not difficult to do i did a brief portals review a few weeks ago and i just spent 30 seconds going portals put up a bunch of a4 sheets they just printed them out diys you like and there were i don't know maybe a dozen around the venue just saying portals is a safe space uh, and we want people to feel safe here and we want people to feel comfortable if you're getting any aggravation for anything at all please go up to one of the members of staff and speak to them and we will do something about it and to certain people that is a lifeline which 
can be the difference between going to something and not going to something. And if you can extend that so easily, if a, f- a festival like Portals could do that, no festival has any excuses to not do that. It's so fucking easy. And it'd be interesting to see what Bloodstock do. I mean, even simple things like, like you could put notices like that on the screens. You could put up a few rainbow flags. You could, like, any, like, there's loads of really small, simple things that you can do to show solidarity and show that you are an inclusive festival. But this proves that Bloodstock, as it stands at the moment, isn't. It just isn't. Mm. And and we'll see. I guess, you know, the, the proof will be in the pudding when it comes around in August and we see kind of if... Um if they've taken any actual steps because at the moment this is still essentially a developing story isn't it yeah and people who are saying that you know like oh it's not inclusive well you know let's see if this is the uh the kick to change when i very much hope there is yeah. and and it's obviously it's not a fucking people going I, the other people on the other side it's cancel culture it's cancel culture well you know it's not you know that they they stand for something and somebody's done something in opposition to that so the conversations are happening exactly. that, that that's not cancel culture put no. it this way right cancel, i want to pour boiling hot tar down dan wooden's neck and yet i'll still be here next week <laughs> that's quite an incendiary thing to say so i guess cancel culture doesn't exist does it because i can say that i hope someone sticks a chainsaw up dan wooden's ass <laughs> that's quite a nasty thing to say and yet I'm still writing for Metal Hammer. I should probably say, because I've just realised that I've been talking about Bloodstock as a, as, <laughs> a, as a whole. I think the way that Bloodstock, the organisation, have dealt with this gen in the main, so far, generally, has actually been quite good. I think Vicky stepping down for the moment, in light of these comments, is a good idea. Because, like you say, what she is saying in her personal Twitter profile versus what the festival say and what the festival stand for are completely opposite at the moment mm. and she needs to understand that and learn that and appreciate that and if she can't get her head around that idea then she should leave full stop or bloodstock should just start going yeah we don't welcome trans people you know <laughs> which i don't think would be a very good idea for them no. uh, so i think i think what bloodstock have done so far has been positive in that sense but you know, I don't like the idea that whenever, uh, as you say, in certain outlets, in certain like particularly right wing outlets like GB News and Daily Mail and all that sort of thing, whenever metal is brought up, it's due to negative shit like that. And that paints for ordinary Joe on the street, that paints a negative picture about the entire fucking scene. Mm. And, there, and therefore, people who say shit like that should not have the sort of roles that Vicky has. End of. Seems fair. One more Dan Wooden insult before we go, or should I just move on? I mean, I, I think we can move on from that. <laughs> 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 I was going to say I want to rub a flesh-eating virus on his penis, but, you know... Um, <laughs> he's awful. Fucking the worst. Anyway... Uh, this week, we are going to be looking at the lost art of the B-side. What even is a B-side now? Where have they gone? What is so great or not so great about B-sides? We, um, before we get into the, the, the three each that we picked, our six that we were chatting today, we asked you for a selection of your favourite B-sides. We asked you that question, we put it to you, like what's happened to the B-side? What do you consider um, a B-side these days in the streaming generation? Thanks for your responses. 
I thought this was quite a good uh, response. Wonder Whaler on our Twitter said, The death of the B-side is one of the greatest tragedies to hit guitar music. And all I can say is, thank God for Japan's market, because otherwise we wouldn't even have those elusive Japan-only bonus tracks to hunt down. It's funny, isn't it? Because you've picked something rather new as a B-side. Yes. And we had a few conversations about, is this a B-side? Um, where have they gone? we reviewed the Biffy Clyro album that's just come out. I mean, essentially that is, could you could be thinking of that as in another world, that would be 11 B sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's just become an album in its own right. Yeah. There's something beautiful. I think about finding a song from a band you love. That's not on an album. It's not even on a compilation. There wasn't a single that just sort of exists on tucked away in the middle of nowhere. And going, a fucking, that's great. And no one else knows it. It feels like a secret that you're suddenly privy to, you know. Mm. I mean, generally, when I really, really, really get into a band, I'll rinse all of their albums. And then when I've rinsed all of those and I need even more stuff, I'll search the internet for B-sides. And sometimes, you know, some bands, you know, didn't really care too much about B-sides all that much. But some bands made an absolute art form out of it and we'll be talking about a few of them today um but it can feel like you discover something which is uh only for the diehards which makes it somehow even more special sometimes and also it's uh mm. i mean as we were saying on the biffy clyro um review whether that's a b-sides album or not it's debatable but it also allows a band to experiment a little bit more outside of their parameters or to do stuff which is uh, a little bit different from mm. p push the edges, as Simon Neal, I think, said it, something like that. He did. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, the, the, the interesting thing with uh, a lot of the B-sides that, that I kind of got into when I was a kid was that if you ever saw a band play that song live, I mean, this is maybe a little bit of my ego coming in here, but if a band played a song that no one else knew, but you knew, you feel like the fucking king of the gig, don't you? There's a certain satisfaction in that, yeah. I remember Deftones playing Teething at the Astoria once, and no one else knew it, and I knew it. Now, is Teething a B-side? I'm not sure it is, because it's on the Crow City of Angels soundtrack. Um, See, I would which, call that a B-side. So well, is, I guess... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we should probably... But I remember playing it and I knew all the words and people were like, oh, is this a new song or what is this? And I was like, no, this is a B-side. This is a B-side. This is a sort of unreleased mm, track. Mm. And you fucking... You love it. And and and, the, and them playing it, you're just like, I I never would have expected them to play it. It's just they're, they're so unexpected. They're so unexpected when they get thrown out. Um, I mean, yeah, okay. So we should discuss this before we go any further. What do you count as a B-side then, Renfrey? Because we had to be quite anal about this yeah this might become a bit malleable as we go through this but can i just say it's not covered we've we've b-sides can be covers yes but because we've done stuff on covers we have eradicated hence no metallica metallica a yeah. band who no not really any b-sides just lots of live no bands. metallica have always maintained that all ideas that come in they either become a song or if they you know if they don't turn into a song then they just don't turn into a song once they get to a certain point within the writing it's like this is going to be on the album but they don't really write 
they don't write original material which ends up on any of the albums is what i'm trying to say um and so what we have designated as a b-side is original material from a band so not a cover in this particular case which does not appear on any of their um full-length albums now we had a little bit of it so i chose something which i won't mention now but i chose something which it turned out was a one-off single and steve was like ah no 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 you can't choose that because that's not a b-side a video was made for it it was released as a one-off single i was like oh it's, it's not on any of the albums though you know blah 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 but we decided that no even one-off singles so for example this wasn't my choice but hoodwinked by enter shikari would not be eligible in this particular way that we're doing it even though hoodwinked is not on any of their albums uh which i think is a shame but you know um so that's sort of what we've done for this one for the moment anyway that might mm. change as things go on well yeah one-off singles is a good thing that we can talk about another yeah. time as well we're actually going to mention a couple of those as we go but i should say you know obviously lots of shout outs for the sort of artists you'd expect nirvana aneurysm being a son being two that were kind of particularly popular no one said marigold though i was quite surprised by that i was tempted to pick marigold because marigold i think is obviously quite a significant song the only dave grohl fronted nirvana song but there's a lot to talk about then became a food fighter song quite a lot to talk about yeah there's a lot to talk about Oasis were another one. I mean, Oasis always get kind of bigged up as a, a big B-side band. Fade Away, Talk Tonight, Acquiesce. Acquiesce being like... My favourite Oasis big, song. A big, Acquiesce. big, big yeah. one. Uh, Pearl Jam, quite a few there as well. Yellow Better was the big one, which I believe was the B-side to Jeremy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And often ends their shows now. Like, I'd say mm. one in three probably even more than that to be honest Pearl Jam shows always always end with the yellow lead better great song there's a couple Tom Wilton mentioned The Long Road I don't know that Renfrew oh do you not know Long Road oh Long Road's brilliant it's from um, Merkin Ball it's from the sessions where mm-hmm. uh, Pearl Jam recorded the Mirrorball album with Neil Young but it's actually Eddie on oh, okay. Long Road's a fan. beautiful song another one that I didn't know someone called Mick on Twitter said Wash mm-hmm. yeah from 10 era wash is a good song um i I mean yeah i'm trying not to say too much about these things because yellow lead better is definitely going to be a future pick for me uh as is i mean there's going to be quite a few ones i'm not gonna lie um there's gonna be quite a few grunge ones i was saying to you the other day like the the grunge bands were really fucking good at it like gen Mm. generally i think grunge bands were really good with the b-side and i think maybe we're maybe it is a bit of a lost art now but i feel like we're a generation who are very keen on the b-side because it feels like it was a very 90s thing i mean you know it began earlier than that but certainly that idea of finding a song which you feel like not many other people know about it felt like a very 90s kind of thing to me yeah Um, yeah oh definitely yeah it really did um the manics were another band who got a lot of shout outs as well um out of time was actually going to be one of my picks um but we have spoke about the manics quite a lot recently recently. um one of the more popular ones was patrick bateman from the la tristessa durera single which um i really like that song um i fucked god up the ass is a good lyric isn't it so are you familiar with that song yeah i know the song patrick bateman um, because i was obsessed with american psycho for quite a long time and uh, just Mm. uh, listen to anything and everything about it but um yeah i'm familiar with the song uh, what a hook 
Renfrey's got a very good business card, haven't you? <laughs> a great inspired, business card. Inspired by American Psycho. I tell you one uh, of the, the best wa- musicals the wa- I ever saw. I might have mentioned this before, but um, they did American Psycho, the musical, with Matt Smith did as they? Patrick Bateman. And and you hear that and you go, oh God, that's going to be awful. But they got it was actually fantastic. The Wild Arts got a lot of suggestions yeah. as well. 29 Times of Pain. Um, Biffy Clyro got a lot of suggestions as well. Uh, we've already spoken about Biffy quite a lot this yeah, week, so yeah, yeah, you know yeah. we'll go for that. Um, El Muno said the fun machine took a shit and died by Queens of the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. Obviously, big du- um, uh, agreed with by uh, Adam Valley, unsurprisingly. <laughs> the Queens of the Stone Age mega fan. I think that's a lullabies to paralyze era B side, mm. I believe. Yeah, yeah. The legendary Jonah Matranga, one line drawing himself, sent us uh, Cold Sweat, the B side to Lukewarm by New End Original. Now. New and original and lukewarm getting that on single at all would be fairly rare because it's not Jonah's biggest. I mean, you know, Jonah, fairly underground artist, and not even his most sort of commercially successful act or the act that he's most known for. But are you aware of that song, Cold Sweat? I don't know. I don't know if I do know it off the top of my head. I'm very familiar it's, with the album, but I don't know the song. It's it's fucking brilliant. Oh, cool! It's fucking brilliant that song. It's really really great. I don't know why that's just a B-side. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. that—that That is a, it's a great song. Uh, Sam Thomas said, Absolute Zero by Faith No More. There's a lot of good shit on the Faith No More. I mean, that's a Dig in the Grave B-side. Mm. Um, predictably amazing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on the Spanish version of Evidence is is really <laughs> wicked. And Faith No More, a band who do like a lot of their B-sides, again, are covers and stuff. But yeah, Absolute Zero is great. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I have heard Absolute Zero yeah. at some point. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I haven't heard the Spanish version of Evidence, though. That sounds cool. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Um, here's one that I think, again, like in terms of the rulings of it, Bradley Cassidy suggested She's Lost Control by Joy Division, which was the B-side to Atmosphere, as we discussed on our, um, our Joy Division special. It's technically a B-side because of that, but, you know, it was on Unknown Pleasures years before. For me, that's that's not a b-side it might have been the b-side they might have stuck it on sort of posthumously but i don't think you can count she's lost control as a b-side a couple of these came up another one which came up was um good riddance time of your life because uh there was a <sighs> i'm trying to remember brain stew yes it was on brain stew wasn't it yeah 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 um see that that but that's different in fact i was gonna bring oh, it was okay. um it, i th- see i think that's yeah rob johnson i mean i think that Good Riddance by Green Day, possibly the most successful B-side ever. So why are you... Are you saying that it's different because it was re-recorded for Nimrod and therefore it's a different version? Is that why that's that would be allowed in your estimations for this? Well, I'm saying because it was a B-side. It started life as a B-side. Brain Stew came out before... Is on Insomniac and then yeah. Nimrod came afterwards. So when we get to one of mine and you, you tried you, you try to tricks me yesterday oh, and i was like no, no 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 oh and i will um and, and he's wagging no, his no, finger for people who are listening this is a b-side <laughs> yes. yeah okay so i've essentially i have picked a single for yes. later on which was released as a single apparently i don't remember it coming out personally uh, i'm not sure it even got released in the uk but it was a b-side previously so yes. it started life as a b-side so to me that is an evolution she's lost control is an album track and a single that was relegated to becoming a b-side as opposed to a song written which was used as a b-side which then went on to have a life of its own 
Oh, it's very complicated. I don't think it is that complicated. How soon is now? That was one that was mooted. I mean, does that count? I mean, it was originally the B-side to uh, William. It was really nothing before it was released itself. So, to me, you can go, yes. I think when you're talking about the most successful B-sides, yeah, I think... Um, uh, How soon is now? Good riddance. Yep. Massive songs. Start life as a B-side. Fool's gold. Fool's yeah. gold was suggested. Mm. That's a double A. That's a double A side. Okay, but hold on. Uh, Fool's gold came out post the record coming out, right? And then mm -hmm. the record was re. But but as a single, as a single, double sided single. And then the two A sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then, no, yeah. And then so the Stone both... Roses album was re released with Fool's Gold on yeah. the end. Oh, so it's you can't stressing get you out, isn't it? It's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's just go through a few more. Um, Jerry M suggested "Proud" by Corn, which is the B-side to I believe it's "No Place to Hide," which I had on white seven-inch single. A rare example of something which vanished before it even became a thing: the new metal B-side. Any other new metal B? It's not really many new metal B-sides, are there? Um. I mean, you Remixes mentioned is yeah, live tracks. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. Actually, um, some covers, a few covers. I like. Yeah, well, there, covers covers became a whole big thing with the uh, new metal brigade, didn't it? Yeah. Maybe you're and they right. They started chucking on the album. New metal B sides, not a thing. This is where they all start going. They become the remix, don't they? Like it's just oh, here's a here's the the Moby remix of mm. you know, fucking good god or whatever which you know, here's a bentley rhythm ace remix of the beautiful people which with a few exceptions and it really is a few the remix is massively inferior to the b-side i would say mm -hmm. in general there are definitely yeah. a few i've actually warmed to a few remixes just in the last few years actually because i used to be just totally like fuck remixes they're all fucking nonsense which is a little ott um but have you heard the have you heard the biffy clyro remix of personal shopper yeah by Steve Wilson? you did tell me about that that's fucking, fucking awesome yeah i mean the, yeah. there are really really good ones out there uh yeah. but nine times out of ten they're just how do we fill this space i mean you don't even need to fill a space anymore do you because it's all digital but yeah it is mm. yeah uh chris amblin chris how are you good suggested palo alto from the okay computer sessions mm. um awesome. which i've got on the uh okay not okay, uh, okay vinyl no, yeah, box yeah, yeah, yeah. set yeah. yeah, which is I. I mean, the whole thing actually some very good ones. Radiohead have some great B-sides. Radiohead, yeah, he did then just sort of especially go ahead and just like the Radiohead. the Benz era B-sides are really mm. fucking good. Yeah, big time for sure. Uh, the last one I was going to mention as well, Renfrey, reach out the B-side to "Wasted Years" by Iron Maiden. Have you heard that? No, I'm not massively familiar with Iron Maiden B-sides, I have to be honest. Because, um, mm. no, I, I've never even, I mean, obviously, I've never even really thought about an Iron Maiden <laughs> B-side, to be perfectly honest. But, you know. Um, the, the, there was one that I thought about. I think it's the song Total Eclipse. I want to say I might have got the name of the song wrong. But there was a song on the Total number Eclipse of Heart? No. Um, there was a song on the number of the beast, I think called Total Eclipse, which used to be a B-side. Um, but when they re-released the album in 1998, I want to say, they made it an album track. And uh, as it should be, because it's actually probably one of the better songs on number of the beast. 
Okay, so have you? Heard, you haven't heard that. But song I haven't yet. heard that song. No, sorry. Okay, so well, <laughs> uh, good. It's Adrian Smith on lead vocals. What? Oh right, mm. that's cool. It sounds like it sounds like Def Leppard. I actually quite like it. It's really cheesy. It sounds like Def Leppard. Oh. I was like, oh, that's quite, it's quite good. That. Is it your favourite? Better than uh, better than Hallowed Be Thy Name. No, 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 I wouldn't say that. <laughs> but it is quite good. Also, there is the B side to life is uh, life is what you make it. It's getting late in the evening by Talk Talk, which someone said might be the best Talk Talk song. Now that is on the Talk Talk um, asides B sides, like B sides and rarities collection, and it is really good. Mm, I've not heard that. I would say that, wouldn't I? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, let's get on with it. I just wanted to give that a shout as well. Um, I'm going to go with my first pick because I think um, just for age, really, we're kind of going in some kind of chronological... Well, we're not actually, but we're going to start at the start of the chronology of this. Um, I picked Animal Farm by Madness, uh, which was the B-side to the standalone single. So this wouldn't have... For me, this wouldn't have flown as a b-side even though it's a standalone single um i like driving in my car which is a song that hasn't really aged that well if i'm honest i like driving in my car do you know this song <laughs> oh yeah 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 of course you do mm. yeah um i picked this one because basically what we've got here is the first time i was ever really aware of a b-side i had driving in my car well i say i did i was two when it came out so my dad would have bought it right but i like the song because it's got lots of bip, 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 bip. and apparently yeah. i used to drive around in my little little truck round and round and round in it um because i really like madness if you're not familiar with driving my car by madness um i'd say i was gonna say the majority but a lot a lot of the um a lot of the instrumentation is made up of car horns and yeah. stuff like beeps that. And boops. Beeps and mm-hmm. boops. Um, which yeah. I, I think at the time was pretty fucking novel and pretty like forward thinking. I liked it. I was three, wasn't I? So, <laughs> it, it, does, it does have a... I, I, it sounds nasty to say this, but it does have a novelty song kind of feel to it. Oh, definitely. There is also um, an unreleased one called uh, I Like riding on my bike which is the same song but 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 the lyrics change to bike and various <laughs> bike based things rather than car based things fun boy three are in the video for i like driving in my car oh, right. trying to hitch a lift to coventry oh yeah, yeah very yeah, yeah. very good anyway i'm not talking about driving in my car but anyway i love madness as discussed they were probably the first band that i ever went that's a band that i like and um as i said this is a non-album track it came out in july of 82 before October 82 saw the release of the Rise and Fall album. But it's kind of considered that song part of the sessions of that record. Um, Probably one of the worst... When I look back at this, I do think it's one of the worst (laughs) Madness singles from the period. It is proper kind of throwaway shit. But I was two years old when it came out. I was probably like three or four by the time I started really paying attention to it in reality. But I liked the song and I was happy that my dad would let me pick the record out of the sleeve and put it on the record player and play it and I would choose to play it so that was something that I liked um I was just so excited that I wanted to listen to both sides of the record and the other side of the seven inch was Animal Farm was the B side right and I tell you what mate as a very very young child I convinced myself that this song was good I just thought this is madness I love madness it's one of their songs ergo this song is good but it's but it's not good <laughs> in fact i sort of forgot about this song completely 
until I was about 14 or 15 when I bought The Business, which is the complete madness discography over kind of three CDs, three or four CDs, I think it is. It's a big kind of madness box set. And I told all my friends, they were like, well, you've got all the madness stuff on Divine Madness. It's on Complete Madness. Why do you need another madness best of? And I was like, because this, it's got this song on it, which you don't know, called Animal Farm. Have a listen to it. And I put it on. And I thought, fuck me, what a bag of shite this is. Oh. What what an absolute bag of shite. It's awful when that happens, isn't it? When you remember it is something. It's really awful. You remember something from childhood that you thought was amazing, that you, you that yeah. in your head still feels like it's like the most revelatory thing you've ever seen. And then you see it through more grown-up eyes and you realise that it's fucking nonsense. Yeah. So was this <laughs> one of the first times that had happened to you with music? Do you think? Probably, yeah. Because well, it's, I tell you what it is, and the reason why I picked it is because it's probably the first time that I realised you're not always going to get what you want from a B-side. Like, B-sides can be a fucking waste of time. And look, I love Madness. I love them. But a load of piano and a load of discordant sax and uh, you know they could they there are much more you know i think as we, we discussed madness before and i said you know they're a much more diverse band than people p- p- give possibly them give them for, cr- yeah. give them credit for right but this is this is a mess isn't it this song is a waste of time yeah uh apparently it's an instrumental reworking of the song tomorrow's dream from the album seven i'm not familiar with tomorrow's dream is the, yeah. yeah would you say that's the uh, case? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. It's not. Tomorrow's uh, Dreams is, is is a good song, and this is basically taking a little bit of the piano from it, right? A little bit of the sax from it, and it's just sort of like sharted all over it, really. Yeah, there's um, I, it's I mean, weird discordant, like kind of trying to be creepy. I mean, I think I said stuff like you know grey day and embarrassment from like, when madness do something a bit more a bit you know serious they can do serious songs but they still make a great pop song out of it this i'm not really sure what they're trying to do with this song it's bad to give them some credit it feels like they're trying to put sort of uh a collage together a collage of sounds which again at the time might have seemed like a pretty forward thinking out there thing to do um, it's just they don't manage to create a great song from it on this particular, uh, in this particular instance. This weirdly reminded me of the new Devin Townsend album, uh, in that sense, in that it's a lot of. <laughs> Do you see <laughs> yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's it's just Devin has done it to um, a, a much better ability. But then, hey, if Madness hadn't come along and done it, maybe maybe uh, Devin wouldn't have been inclined to do something like that. So, I I. I doubt that, to be honest. Oh, but who knows? I lo- don't know. Love, lovely of you to be. I'm nice trying to be. To I'm trying well. to be nice because I don't like. Yeah. I don't have loads to say about this song because I think it's fucking rubbish. Um, but I know. <laughs> I know. Rubbish. You know. I know you're not coming in here going, "Oh, I really love this song." What do you think of it? But uh, you know, just sort of looking. I, I, th- I think Madness were looking to push things far more than people realise and people do think of them as a novelty band because of songs like Driving In My Car it was um, Mr Jamie Lemon who kind of educated me a bit more Madness who really adores Madness uh, and said no they like seriously listen to these songs they have some really uh, important and like almost political statements behind some of their songs they can just wrap them up in a really 
fun way. You know, baggy trousers is the other one which people think of when they think of bad. Yeah, and have again, some fun. Yeah, and it gives that impression that like everything that they do is just like way wacky even the name madness but there was a lot more behind what they did it's just those are the songs that people remember i guess Mm, mm. and Um, this is arguably i mean this is like some kind of yeah you know like sound collage thing which for some reason i play as a three four year old i played over and over and over again (laughs) and now i'm like oh that must have drove my parents because this is rubbish like it's you know it's madness are a more experimental band and there's a reason this didn't end up on their record and b-sides are a place to put something like this but i struggle i I, you know but i i I think it would have been one of those like now i would have listened to it once and gone huh yeah okay (laughs) and then never listened to it ever (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, but it kind of made me realize that oh b-sides aren't always because let's be honest you buy a record, you buy a CD, you know, buy buy a tape single, you buy a CD single. A lot of the time, you get a lot of you get some fucking guff on it sometimes. Yeah, oh, yeah, you? yeah. You yeah. do get kind of the experimental stuff or the remix or whatever. But I'm um, just put this in here because it was like the first time I realised that, oh, you know, musicians sometimes don't give away all their best tricks for like you know the flip side of the single that you really like. So um, yeah, madness, Animal Farm. An important learning lesson for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I think we're we're stepping into slightly more artistically credible territory here <laughs> when we come to your first pick with PJ Harvey, Dance on the Mountain. Um, a previously unreleased track from the singer-songwriter that we, who was going to be the subject one day of our classic, our next classic album, uh, that was used in a, a BBC Radio 4 drama in 2017 called On Kosovo Field. It was a song that was recorded during the sessions for Hope Six Demolition Project, I think, which was her most recent album, actually. And it's an album full of protest songs, effectively. Or it's an album that looks at and dissects the protest song, which is quite interesting for pj harvey because pj harvey really hadn't tackled politics barely at all i would say before let england shake which was the album previous to hope six demolition project but she's been going down that role going down that lane a little bit more on a more recent work but she does it in a really poetic sense where sometimes it's just sort of painting a picture of what's happening and allowing the listener to decide um, how they feel about it there's something really beautifully put about the prose of this song and the storytelling of it is just astonishing to the extent i think the hype six demolition project is a is a really good pj harvey record um, but I, I hear a song like this and I'm kind of like, I'm very surprised that it didn't make the final cut because I think it's so brilliant. Like, it's so spooky and uh, terrifying in lots of ways. The lyrics, I mean, they begin, Kalishnikovs were brought across the mountain on the back of mules. They stored their weapons in a school. There's something wrong something terrifying something terrifying and the way that harvey whispers something terrifying really does make it sound terrifying there's much more menace and kind of um it's much creepier this song than it than anything that you would get 
just from being really heavy and loud and all the time. I was going to say this is this is a really good example of a really really heavy song that is not sonically heavy. Absolutely, this is as haunting and threatening as music can get, pretty much. More or less. Um, Swans. It is. Yeah, it expertly, excellently captures the horror of war. Yeah, and. When she says, this is their land, and the acoustic guitar kind of comes in, and it gets more intense, you go, oh, shit's about to kind of explode. But then she brings it back to that plink, plink, plink on the piano, and that whisper again. And it just is, it's almost more, it's more, almost more kind of, I'm going to use the word upsetting, because I think this is quite an upsetting song it's not an easy listen this song in in any way at all and it's it's sort of paranoia inducing rather than it just being like wow i'm being smacked in the face with stuff you're suddenly just like have they gone like what's who is got the kalashnikovs and why are we getting as we get louder we suddenly go like and it's gone again yeah and it just makes you feel really really uneasy it's a fucking great song i mean look you know we're gonna get around to talking about pj harvey in more depth at some point but this song is this song's brilliant isn't it yeah it's really mm. fucking good and i actually I, I, there's there was a couple of reasons why i chose it a just as a little primer as a in a few days you'll get a pj harvey classic album as well but b um i actually only discovered this song in the last few months uh and i was just like fuck me i think i was just listening to pj harvey on youtube or something like that and it came on i was like what's this song i don't know this song and I just thought it was absolutely, it just stopped me in my tracks. And it really sounds so creepy and menacing. I'd say stalking, as if the song is personified somehow and is breathing down your neck whilst you're listening to it. And that is a pretty amazing atmosphere to conjure up and then decide, ah, I'll put it out as a B-side. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> and kind of not even, because the thing is, is that, well, this is one of those, like, this isn't, actually a b-side really is it because it's never been released as a b-side it's never it's never the b-side to an an a-side because it's 2017 so i guess you know as opposed to what you were going to pick which i think they made a video for it it was released on spotify as its own single whereas this was unreleased and kind of only heard when it was used on a radio 4 drama and it's only sort of five four five years ago that happened so I'm kind of going, yeah, we let that slide as a B-side, even though officially it's never really been used as an actual B-side. But I think that's what these songs have evolved into at this point. Yeah. A song from that session which was never used. Yeah. I th- and it kind of then comes up later on. Yeah. I mean, I mean, really, I think the key thing for me is it's like a song that maybe people don't know about, you know, or something like that. And that's the key thing. I think there's been quite a lot of PJ Harvey fans who are unfamiliar with the song. And actually, if you've never listened to PJ Harvey listen to this and like just see i wouldn't say that all of her materials like this but this is just like an idea of what she can do um it was actually inspired by pj harvey and photographer seamus murphy uh traveling through kosovo afghanistan and washington dc to explore ideas of conflict and power in the 21st century and there is definitely that feeling of i mean the lyrics remind me of wilfred owen or Sigrid. Sassoon, I'm going back to my A-level World War One war poetry stuff. It has that kind of feel to it. And she did that quite a bit on Let England Shake, actually. And that's not really something that I've heard any other artists do, be able to put that sense of dread and um, 
doom that Owen and Sassoon kind of put into their poetry and then put that onto a song as well. But the way that PJ Harvey does it is just exquisitely done. It's absolutely amazing. I think it's absolutely astonishing that someone can write a song like this and then go, oh, no, I won't put it on an album. Like, it's, it's crazy. I mean, sometimes there's multiple reasons for that. And I guess it would have stood out a lot on that album. But, uh, yeah, Dance on the Mountain is, is one of my, I'd say one of my favourite PJ Harvey songs. It's really good. Hmm. Uh, all right, well, let's move on. I picked Bleed Together by Soundgarden. Now, originally, this was, and yes, it fucking was, it was the B-side to Burden in Your Hand. And I know because I bought it to the point where I actually had to go and find it yesterday and send Renfrey a picture of it because <laughs> this song was way too good to, to be a B-side. And I kind of picked it because it was just stuck there on the European release of Burden in My Hand. And... It ended up being an exclusive track on A-Sides, which came out after they split up. It was kind of the first Soundgarden greatest hits package, I believe, A-Sides. Yeah, as far as I'm aware. And when A-Sides came out, I I heard about it coming out and I was like, oh, I should get this because I had Super Unknown, I had Down the Upside, I had Bad Motorfinger. Um, but I was like, I haven't got Loud Love or Ultra Mega Okay, so I'm going to buy it for kind of that stuff. Oh, and there's there's a new song on it. They're going to release a kind of unreleased single from it. So I was excited to be like, oh, great, I'm going to get a new Soundgarden song. But it was this. It was Bleed Together that they stuck on the end of it. And I was like, well, I've had this for the last year, this song. I am aware of it. It says it was released as a promo CD. So I don't actually know if it was physically released as a single bleed together i'm not sure but yeah i do remember being like ah yeah uh this is this is a great song because this would be when you know i i used to buy all the singles of all the bands that i really really loved pretty much just to get you know a b-side or an extra song or whatever with it and um so i kind of skipped bird in my hand and went straight to bleed together and i was like this song's fucking excellent like you do it you get you do it sometimes and you go well that was a waste of two pound ninety nine or whatever, but this was one of the times where it wasn't. So I was a little bit disappointed that Bleed Together then went on A sides, um, but still, this is a fucking banger in it, fucking absolute banger. I like this song a lot. I don't like it um, as much as you do, um, but I do like it a lot. It re- it kind of reminds me of Kickstand from Super Unknown, mm-hmm. although I actually think it's better than Kickstand. If you go back to our classic album on Super Unknown, I think we both agreed Kickstand. Well, Kickstand was one of the weaker. It was for me. Maybe it wasn't for you. I can't remember. Not so much for me, I don't think. No, no maybe not, not so much really. for you. Um, but it's uh, kind of Soundgarden being upbeat and punky, um, which they did a few times in their career, but they didn't do it loads. And I generally... Ty uh, Yeah, Ty Cobb. No, I mean, yeah. Ty Cobb is absolutely like the other startling example. But this is still very cool. I like Bleed Together a lot. Um, I don't think I'm as an amateur. Particularly... Particularly the, I know you're sick and alone. I know you're sick and alone. Like that bit. Uh, yeah. That bit's fucking amazing. Apparently, originally the record company was interested in Bleed Together being on the album. But uh, Kim Thiel said that the band weren't interested in putting it on the album because they weren't happy with the mix that they got for it. Also, we had to concern ourselves with the length of the record and how much time we could fit on one disc. So we never finished it before Down the Upside came out. This is one of many mixes we had tried at the time. So, yeah, I mean, I I, 
I think the mix sounds fine. I think it sounds pretty good, to be honest. Um, I do. I mean, I, I would imagine surely in the year that came along, I don't remember the uh, the A sides version being different to the version that I had mm. on on CD. Although, because I don't own a CD player at the moment, I haven't been able to check if they're the same. I'm pretty sure. I sort of feel like they are. I never owned A sides, so I couldn't say one way or the other. Well, A sides is on is on Spotify, so whatever version they released as the single, the promo will be on Spotify. Right, right. I would right. imagine. Mm. Whereas the burden in my hand single is not. So if they're different, I don't feel like they're different. I think it mm. is exactly the same. I think it's the same. And then it was released later on in the US as a promotional single. But then again, that's not a single, is it? A promotional single, a one one track promotional single. That to me denotes, oh, here's the song that we want you to play on radio, uh, rather than actually kind of available for commercial purposes uh at that time i believe that's what a promo single mm. would have been yes yeah 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 yeah. so uh i don't basically we don't know we don't know if it's <laughs> the same version we can't really tell you but i think this song is really good mm. and it's another it's an example of like if i'd have heard this at the end of a size i would have gone oh wow this is great they kind of it's like a new song but because i already knew it was just a b-side i was like fucking cop out just sticking a b-side at the end and trying to fob people off with like saying uh, exclusive soundgarden content guys exclusive soundgarden content that you've never heard before i bought the whole album on the basis of that well thank goodness that practice isn't preached at all in the record industry anymore and uh we're not asked to buy deluxe editions of albums that we already own over and over again just for the sake of a couple of riffs or demos or b-sides or songs that we may have already heard before just the 270 quid on the black album on vinyl <laughs> which is uh, you know, there you go probably has some good stuff on it i've not it does. It get a book there you get a book you get a book um elton john's got it <laughs> good good for him he, he, he's got everything he, he loves he's got everything hasn't he, he has yeah it. he's probably got four fucking copies of it <laughs> anyway let's move on to your next pick uh ocean sides surplus superfluous oh god superfluous requirements um superfluous to is, requirements yeah Two requirements, yes. Sorry, I, I lost the two out of that. Um, it's um, taken from the New Pin EP. Yeah, or single. the New Pin, New Pin single, uh, which came out 2005. New Pin was on their second album, Everyone Into Position. Um, New Pin is, uh, is a good song. Uh, it's nowhere near as good as super, uh, super, superfluous, to, superfluous requirements. to requirements. You've got me doing it now. Sorry. Um, that's all right. Uh, I, I mean, the, I, I find it absolutely baffling that this wasn't put on that record. This is for many diehard fans will say that this is the best Oceanside song, which is quite a typical ocean size thing. fan thing to say any diehard fans <laughs> i think and yeah and fans of diehard as well in the nekatomi yeah. plaza um shouldn't they be more concerned about uh hans Gru- what's the favorite <laughs> line by hans gruber rather than worrying about Oceanside? i have no idea i don't think they're worrying about it i think they're just just t- saying what their favorite mm. song is um, what is it about this song that appeals to um to people uh, who like the film die hard <laughs> i couldn't tell you that um well, I like the film Die Hard, and I'm happy to tell you. <laughs> I fucking love the film Die Hard, and I I love the right. song as well. So there must there must be a connection there. Mm. Um, I think the reason pe- I, it's not 
personally like my favorite ocean slice song or anything like that but it is a song which i think is absolutely incredible and i think it's insane that it's a b-side um and i can see why people rate it so highly it just doesn't sound like anything else i don't know i mean i find that with ocean size material generally but it really genuinely trying to put this song into a genre of any kind it just feels like it constantly evolves and when you think you've pinned down what you think this song actually is it changes and does something else it begins as like an avant-garde droney thing and there's a weird trippy drum and bass sort of drum part that comes in there's loads and loads of synths then the more traditional wall of sound guitars comes in that you'd expect from ocean size and it takes on over eight minutes or so it does a lot of different things and does them all like we were talking about this with Biffy B-sides and uh, with the Biffy album review that we did a couple of days ago the way that it gets from A to B and does it so sort of seamlessly and organically is just a masterclass in songwriting I'd say with uh, superfluous to requirements <laughs> um, I'd say that it goes from A to B to C to D to E like organically it's just amazing I, i'm amazed that a band would put this much effort into making a song and yeah. just go fucking whack that on the b-side like that is i mean i, I kind of exactly. love bands who do that yeah i kind of love bands that do that and i think this is really really fucking good i mean good. it's just cool. sounds like radiohead's entire career yeah. were being played at once yeah i think that's <laughs> actually really good yeah 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 it really does doesn't it yeah i mean yeah. the riff that goes on in the background of it is the shit and there's this kind of electro pin drop it's almost this really quite electro thing that is just goes on sort of all the way through it's great there's some of those deep kind of hammondy organ like clavicle keys yes. that are great as well um mike's voice i'm assuming it's mike yeah sounds like brilliant on it sounds really, lovely on really it doesn't good. it yeah lovely lovely um yeah i still haven't really listened to ocean size enough and every time i hear a bit or i hear a bit of then art or whatever i'm like I've got to go and listen to something I never do. Thing is, this is the thing, isn't it? Like you go in like, why, why are you changing the format of your podcast? Well, I can listen to Ocean. As soon as we finish this today, I'll just go and listen to Ocean Science. Mm. Whereas before, I'd be going, oh, I better listen to whatever fucking random deathcore album I've been sent <laughs> to fucking listen to. I don't want to do that. It's one um, of those. It's one but, of those things which I've been been trying to sort of uh, gently push onto you rather than like force down your throat but um very occasionally i just want to sort of remind you <laughs> that there's this band here that you've not listened to and i actually envy you because you will get to listen to these songs for the first time ever It'd be like wow um yeah. and that's how i feel about ocean size it, it i think every single tiny detail that is put into this song and you're right like the amount of effort and the amount of time that clearly went into constructing this song and making it sound as good as it does it is fucking bonkers that was just put out on a b-side but i think all of those tiny details really elevate it and there are so many elements present it's very difficult to focus on all of them at once but that in a nutshell is kind of why ocean sides are amazing because you go back to it and then you really you notice something else and then you notice something different and then notice something else third time fourth time fifth time um would you be able to i mean i think it's irrelevant anyway but would you be able to put this song into a genre I mean, I would probably just say kind of progressive alternative rock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But you have to use to... you have to use a kind of catch-all thing in order to do it, don't you? And and of course, mm. 
I suppose the purpose of genres is to give people an idea of what something sounds like and saying mm-hmm. progressive alternative rock still doesn't do that. But, but you know, I'm, I'm saying all this is like a positive. Thanks, no, 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 no. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not trying to put you down. I'm just saying, I'm <laughs> saying they're difficult to describe, but that's kind of why why they're brilliant. I, I don't think the song sounds like anything that's come before or since. Mm, it's really good. Probably some Cardiacs B-side that they've ripped off or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Knowing Mike, I don't know. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's a fucking amazing song. Mm. It is really, really good. And it feels like what I'm about to talk about sort of pales in comparison, unfortunately. But uh, there is a reason for picking it. I've picked I Need Somebody by Ash, the B-side to the 1996 uh, single Goldfinger, which was the single that came out just prior to Ash's debut album, 1977, coming out. I've just looked, and um, Goldfinger was released on the 15th of April, 1996, and 1977 was released on the 6th of May, 1996. So you're looking at like a kind of two, three weeks, that'd be two, three weeks before uh, the record came out. So I bought Goldfinger because it was on telly, it was on TFI Friday, it was on the radio quite a lot, and I thought it was brilliant. Goldfinger is a really, really great song. And obviously, in anticipation for Ash, who, you know, at this point, Ash had released uh, Angel Interceptor, Girl from Mars, Kung Fu. Like, they had a bunch of songs out already that I was like, this band are fucking awesome. Like, I mean, that album, we've recently spoken about Ash um, when we did Meltdown Meltdown. for a Rioters review. We were both very keen on that record, but I think... Is 1977 your favourite Ash album, or is it... No. Um, uh, well, we'll talk about this when we come to classic albums, but yeah, it would be... Um, I think Meltdown is actually my favourite. But uh, you, mean, you mean Free All Angels, don't you? Free All Angels, that's what it's called, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I do prefer Free All Angels to 1977, personally. Yeah. Okay, well. Fair enough. <laughs> um... <laughs> you ask me the question, I give you the no, answer, no, it's you're fine. still not happy. No, no, it's... it's, it's it's fine um so anyway i i uh i bought the the goldfinger single there's a cover of get ready by Smokey robinson on it which is probably worth hearing for you know just how bad the difference between a really bad singer and a really good singer (laughs) doing a song like bless tim wheeler but he's not a great singer but you know because i was like oh everything i've heard from ash so far is great i want to listen to more 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 stuff right so What's kind of interesting about the B-sides to Ash is there are a couple of things I think are interesting about this. Firstly, it's written by bass player Mike, Mark Hamilton. Uh-oh. Who, which I find interesting because there's always this assumption that Tim Wheeler, a bit like a kind of Rivers Cuomo or a uh, Ginger Wildheart or whoever, is the guy who writes all of Ash's songs. And That's my particular. At this time, I know when Charlotte Hatherley came along, mm. people went, ah, Charlotte Hatherley adds quite a lot mm-hmm. to Ash. But I think um, it was always sort of perceived that Tim Wheeler was the guy and is the guy who writes all of Ash's best songs. And that still might be the case because I'm going to be honest, I Need Somebody is not one of Ash's best songs. But I thought it was interesting because it goes to show that Mark Hamilton has... Uh, <laughs> quite the imagination at the very least Mark Hamilton has quite the imagination as a songwriter because um the second reason this is sort of interesting is it takes the hook from New York New York and utilizes it in quite an odd and interesting way 
and it sort of reminds me i remember at the time getting it and being really fucking annoyed by this song it really fucking annoyed me because i was like be heavy you're a rock band <laughs> be heavy do the do the like the kind of loush jazziness of it it does remind me of a sort of divine comedy but then they go like nirvana you know what i mean like yeah. the, the dynamics of this song are, are very very broad you know it's quite kind of vegas finger clicky one minute and then it'll all come crashing in and i came back to it about a decade about a decade after it I, I was sorting through a bunch of cds when i was moving a house in a, in about sort of 2005 i reckon mm-hmm. and i had a bunch of sort of brit rock and grunge singles from that period and i was like get rid of some like get rid of the bloody marilyn manson beautiful people with the crap remix of you know the sort of the crystal method remix of it what's the point of having that and i was like do i get rid of this goldfinger single because weren't the b-sides a bit crap there's that Smokey robinson song and i put it on and i remember sort of going oh, there's a song in it that i wanted to be more aggro and more kind of rocky but i remember thinking that it was sort of cool that like weirdly they, they didn't even use it on the album but ash bringing an entire fucking orchestra to record this song with them and then just put it on the b-side and there's no orchestra on 1970 there's nothing on 1977 that's got an orchestra right i mean oh yeah did they use an orchestra on oh yeah i'm not even sure they did not to my knowledge i mean i mean surely it's not an entire orchestra it's it's like it's like a horn section or something yeah okay yeah yeah. ash have some really really good b-sides when they released their first best of the intergalactic sonic sevens there was a second disc that came with it which they called cosmic debris which is just like it's like 23 22 23 b-sides and you know it varies in quality but the good songs on there are really fucking good this song is ridiculous on practically every single conceivable level it is ash doing a big show tune i mean that new york new york refrain makes it this big bombastic thing which just seems to come in (laughs) at random intervals but it does work i'm not trying to suggest that it doesn't work it feels like something that could soundtrack the opening scene in indiana jones and the temple of doom (laughs) it's ash doing a big bombastic show tune really really well which i never ever ever expected to hear particularly this incarnation of ash when they were you know early days they were children 16 16, 17 yeah 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 exactly i I really didn't expect to hear something like this and i think it is done in a throwaway kind of jokey way but it does actually sound quite good you know it's less than three it's less than three minutes isn't it yeah it doesn't even touch the three minute mark so and you know the first few seconds of it are going are we record is tim Wheeler going, uh, yeah, are we yeah, record yeah. are we recording are we recording so you can tell that it's like I, when i yeah it, it brought a whole new charm to it when i went back and listened to it all those years later because mm. i was like fucking hell they they've totally thrown this out they obviously find it really funny yeah you know what i mean they yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. think this is hilarious that they do this um, well, it's like at the end of all... 1977, it's just them puking and being yeah. sick for fucking time. I mean, I would have preferred this at the end of 1977. Yeah, me too. <laughs> to, yeah. to just hearing them puking up in buckets. It's basically them puking for about 10 minutes or something mm. like that, isn't it? Yeah. Although I did used to listen to that a lot. There's something about, something quite <laughs> visceral about hearing the sound of vomit hitting what I assume is a studio floor. It's definitely visceral. Um, doesn't necessarily mean I particularly want it in my life, but then you listen to 17 minutes of piano burning and you know 
exactly what point when the strings are. are uh... I I probably listened to um, the Puke Party on 1977 just as much. I probably listened to it as much <laughs> as I listened to fucking Angel Interceptor. Do you know what I mean? I like this is a good example of getting a B side and being like, oh, it's a fucking B side, and then kind of weirdly accidentally stumbling across it years later and going oh i didn't really give this the time of day at the time it's actually very good and like you say ash in general they're from that school of bands i mean somebody mentioned therapy as well i think therapy have got yes. like some really really good beats actually i've got the the diane single and I, you know this is again would have been something that we wouldn't have used because an acoustic version of songs from album tracks but there are there's an acoustic version of scream major and an acoustic version of what's that called die laughing yes it is style yeah thank you yeah um that just popped out my head completely anyway so yeah so there's a acoustic version of that on there and, and they're a band with loads of really good b-sides and i just think you know it was the time wasn't it where you needed to kind of actually write that you could and you you would and this is this is a good song i like it it's not the best of ash no it's surprising yeah at the very least, it's surprising. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there you go. I Need Somebody by Ash. That's my last pick. Renfrey's last pick is Drowned by the Smashing Pumpkins. Now, I'll start this one last because it is, I think, the closest thing we've got to a fucking cheat here because <laughs> I should really have disallowed this. Really, <laughs> okay. I should have disallowed this. This isn't really a B-side at all. It's from the single soundtrack. And there is a version that they stuck on the 2011 remaster of Gish. I believe as well. Yeah, uh, it was on Rotten Apples, the greatest hits comp. It's as it's, well, it's, yes, which is their yeah, basically their best of the best of that they released when they initially mm-hmm. split up. It was going to be released as a commercial single. In fact, it's never been a fucking B side <laughs> ever. I think the key thing is is this is not on one of Smashing Pumpkins' full length studio albums of original material and for me like, mm-hmm. i'm just like well you know and it's an original song so therefore it makes it a b-side i've always considered drown a b-side and i think yeah yeah i i think that's sort of fair to say it was debuted during the gish tour and was written not long after that record was released now bearing in mind that it was written post gish and pre-Siamese Dream. I think this is the best song that Smashing Pumpkins had in their locker for that brief period of time, which is basically just a fancy way of me saying I think Drown is better than every song on Gish, I suppose. (laughs) Um, But the first take of the song was recorded at Waterfront Studios, which belongs to Lenny Kravitz. Oh, our mate. Hello, our friend Lenny Kravitz, who was also signed to Virgin Records at the time. Um, And it became... It is a song that is well known by Smashing Pumpkins fans, I think, because it became a bit of a radio hit at the time. And singles is such a... I mean, I feel like one day we really need to go in on singles. We've not done singles as writer's review, have we? Or anything like no. That. I can't remember if anyone no. suggested it or not. But um, singles is just a fucking great... <laughs> like, so many... What I would call B-sides. I mean, Wash is on there as well. The Pearl Jam song that someone talked about, As a State of Love and Trust, which I'm definitely going to be picking at some point. But it's such a brilliant encapsulation of that era and what was happening in the grunge scene at that time. Um, And, yeah, as as you say, Billy Corgan did want to release Drown as a commercial single. But he explained, We wanted it to be a single. We were pushing for it. I was even willing to make a video for it. Radio stations were playing it, and when it came time for the third single, 
they said Screaming Trees. And I was like, Screaming Trees? But what label is Alice in Chains on? And what label are the Screaming Trees on? Epic, which is the label that put out the soundtrack. And that's what killed the song. Yeah, so the label might have been looking after their own self-interest. Fine, Mm. that might happen. There's no point being bitter about it, is there? Because you went on to have, you sold way more records than Screaming Trees. (laughs) It didn't matter in the slightest. I should say, by the way, uh, our friends at Pop Collaborate and Listen said, not sure if it's officially a B-side or not, since it's part of the EP Slunk, but Smashing Pumpkins, if considered as a B-side of Rhinoceros, which is the track one on Slunk, is just incredible. Would have fitted on Gish seamlessly and been one of the best songs on it. So I think what you and the, uh, I don't know if that's Dave or Krista, or a combined opinion from the two of them, Mm. probably Krista, isn't it? Uh, I would assume that they're saying there's a lot of stuff that didn't, end up on gish that's that's better than gish because i i i have to say i mean i was familiar with this song prior to to this was only the over the three you sent over this the only one that i was already familiar with and it's just fucking great i listened back to it a couple of times yesterday and you know with i think we are both talking about the eight minute long additional guitar version of it with that massive fucking squalling guitar solo at the end right I prefer the four and a half minute version, but we can talk about the eight version if you want. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well, uh, yeah. I mean, that's just I just assumed that was the one that you were going for. I'm kind of. Um, I, I mean, I, I'll take either or. Really. It was longer, so I was like, he's going to like that one. More, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to <laughs> confound expectations. I think um, the so I, I was familiar with the shorter version for years and years, and that was the first version that I heard, and I was aware of this elusive eight minute version, and then I listened to the eight minute version. I was like, yeah, it's just the song with, like guitar feedback at the end and quite a nice ebo type solo uh i, I don't know a, an ebo type effect on it um which i i don't think is necessary i would say probably five times out of why am i saying that i would say maybe nine times out of ten when i listen to were you gonna say five times out of six <laughs> i was gonna <laughs> That's what I say. Well, that's not a phrase. I'd say nine uh, times out of ten. thirteen times out of sixteen. <laughs> I would say I've done the maths. <laughs> I've worked it it's out. It's not just a saying. It's not just a saying. It's an actual. <laughs> we've actually done the numbers, and I've, this is how they've come. I've out. Russell Crowe it. I've beautiful minded it, and and I've realised that it is yes, uh, sixteen out of every nineteen and three quarter times that I listen to it. Um, most of the time when I go to listen to Drown, I listen to the shorter version. Um, but you know, I like the long ponderous guitar feedbacky bit at the end. I tell you why I like it more. Mm-hmm. Because it makes it sound even more like Dinosaur Junior, which is essentially <laughs> what this song sounds like. Jimmy Chamberlain uh drumming and billy corgan singing for dinosaur jr this is what this is right hmm. this is as dinosaur jr as the smashing pumpkins ever fucking sounded it sounds like i've always thought that i'm like hey, this is massive dinosaur jr ripoff and when you put that solo on at the end yeah. you're like that's that's fucking dinosaur jr well i i think i, I mean and I, there's nothing wrong with that it's brilliant no. the the i wish i could fly part with 
Chamberlain going brr, 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 all over yeah, the place. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah. But, I, it, but it's Dinosaur Jr. I've never made the Dinosaur Connection, uh, Dinosaur Jr. connection. I can see what you're saying. Um, I, I mean, for me, the reason I adore this song so much is because it sums up everything that I think is great about Smashing Pumpkins in this era of the band you know very particularly between gish and siamese dream it's dreamy it's spacey you can imagine darcy zoning out to it on stage you know but then this huge overblown really fuzzed up guitar comes crashing in after the was it something i said line and then that almighty I mean, it's so huge. In, and we talked about this on the Siamese Dream classic albums, which you can go to and listen to if you want to be. The fact that they were doing these outrageous fuzzed up guitar solos at a time where that really was not cool. It was quite an antagonistic thing to do at that point in time. And there's not just one, there's two of them. Two absolutely outrageous, like, widdly widdly Van Halen throwing your hair back. Like, Maybe not hair with Billy. Um, although he did have hair. Oh, no, hair he did then. He, he did have hair at this point. Yeah. Get away with it. <laughs> you know, just, just throwing yourself back and like, but they're, they're so good. Like, these are solos which do make the songs better and do lift it somewhere else. And I think that is generally what a guitar solo is meant to do. It's meant to take a song and lift it to a, to a different plane. And I think both of these solos do that. And then you have the stuff at the end as well, which. Uh, yeah, I think I think does that, but that is, a, uh, it's it have doing those outrageous guitar solos at this point in time. That's massive cojones for a band to do that at that point, especially for four minutes as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Four minutes straight at the end. Um, it's probably a good thing it didn't get released as a single, really, because uh, they'd have owed Lou Barlow about two million dollars. So <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Dinosaur Jr. It really sounds like I, Dinosaur I, I mean, I see what you're saying, but I, I don't, it doesn't feel like a Dinosaur Jr. ripoff to me. You know, there's a Dinosaur Jr.-esque sound. No, no, look, look, hey, look, they all fucking ripped off. All these bands yeah. ripped off Dinosaur Jr. pretty much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But particularly in this, I was like, wow, tonally, I thought the guitars that start tonally were very Dinosaur Jr. That guitar, that guitar solo, which became much more of a Smashing Pumpkins thing, I think it particularly sounds married with that opening guitar line and just, yeah, it just sounds like Dinosaur I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with sounding sound like Dinosaur Jr. because it's got enough different stuff going on with it. Jimmy Chamberlain, Billy Corgan's voice. It's a great song, so it's fine. But I was like, fucking hell, this is the most Dinosaur Jr.-y sounding Smashing Pumpkins song that I've heard. Hmm. I remember thinking. Oh, maybe. I, I also think it's a really interesting song from the point of view, like where it came, being in between Gish and Siamese Dream. Mm -hmm. This does sound like take 50% Gish, 50% Siamese Dream, and this is the song that you would come up with. Because it's not quite grunge, is it? Absolutely. It's on a grunge soundtrack, and it's not. And, and, and like, I mean, you know, it's not quite full grunge. It's. It's. I was about to say it's too happy for that. It's not strictly happy. It's called drown. Uh, but it's too kind of bombastic okay. for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy's not the word. What's a like euphoric? Is probably a better word, right? Um, yeah, the, the musically. Yeah. Musically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Musically. Um, I mean, Corgan's a miserable fucker as usual. <laughs> What are you gonna do? That's what he likes to do. He's still he's less miserable than Lenny Kravitz. Definitely less miserable than Lenny Kravitz. Yes. Mm. yes. 
What did I do? <laughs> what did I do? What did I do with my life? Um, do listen to Broken Records uh, if you don't know what we're talking about. Doing Star Wars on Broken Records next week. Um, uh, anyway, Smashing Pumpkins, Drown. Uh, that's Renfrey's last pick. There you go. That's it. That's the end of the podcast. Bit different, innit? Hope you haven't missed the reviews. We're going to still do reviews. Don't worry about it, kids. We're going to still do it. Yeah. Don't panic. Don't panic. Don't tell him, Pike. Huh? That is a reference which a lot of people won't get. I don't know. That's all right. I think quite a few people will. Um, (laughs) Yeah, okay. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. Next week, we will be doing something else. We'll let you know on on Twitter, but it will be probably something a bit like this. Uh, Probably won't be two hours because we probably, hopefully, won't have lots of quite serious furrowed brow chat at the start about yeah yeah anyway um thanks very much for listening everyone we'll see you next week or we'll see you throughout the week probably gonna have a couple of reviews that will stick up during the week and then you can listen to them as well lana del rey i think it's mm-hmm. got yep. lana del rey maybe do Fra- i'm pushing to do frank carter quite a bit i know you don't yeah. really want to do that because no. it's uh not really that good is it to be well, perfectly honest there's the review uh <laughs> we'll see i know but you know how much i like slagging stuff off Renfrey, so um uh it's not as bad as some things dan Wharton. anyway <laughs> see you later we'll see you next week <laughs>